Let us pray. <clears throat> God, by your Holy Spirit, open our minds that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may be led into your truth and taught your will for the sake of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our scripture today comes from the book of Jonah, chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, and verse 10, and chapter 4, verses 1 to 4. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid his fare and went on board to go with them away from the presence of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk, and he cried out, 40 days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind, and the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, he did not do it. But this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. And now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The prophet Jonah is one of the few prophets in the Bible that most of us know something about, having learned a little of him back in Sunday school, most likely. Of course, what most of us remember is that he spent three days and nights in the belly of a giant fish. But be very sure, the story of Jonah is not about a fish. It is about the God whose grace and mercy are often a scandal even to those who have received it. Let us pray. Gracious and holy God, I pray now that you would pour your Holy Spirit through me, that these words might truly become your living word to your people. And I pray that you would open up each of our hearts and minds that we might receive that word exactly in the place that we need to hear it. For we pray this in the name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. 
The story of Jonah begins with God sending the prophet to the city of Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was, at the time, the greatest city in the ancient Near East. It became the capital of the Assyrian Empire, which was one of the greatest enemies of Israel in the Bible. God sends Jonah to go and cry out against the city because its wickedness had come to God's attention. Now, wicked is the word used in Genesis to describe the people of Sodom. And we all remember how that turned out with fire raining down upon them from heaven. And so Nineveh was basically Sodom on steroids. Just hearing the name was enough to strike fear and dread and hatred in the heart of any Jew. And it was the last place any of them would ever want to go because as every Israelite knew, there's no such thing as a good Ninevite. Now you all know about Ninevites, don't you? Ninevites are the people in your life you wish were not in your life. They're the people who make your blood boil who cause you to think ugly or violent thoughts, the people on whose head you wouldn't mind if God rained down a little fire from heaven once in a while. We all have Ninevites in our lives. We just know them by other names. We call them Republicans or Democrats, socialists or capitalists or terrorists. It could be your former boss or your current one. It might be your ex-spouse or your mother-in-law or the mean girls at school. It could be president of your student council, president of your book group, or president of the United States. It could be your neighbor, a relative, or your own children. Yes, sometimes even our own homes can feel like Nineveh. And on this Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, we must confess that as a nation, we still have a terrible problem with viewing people who look different from us or who think differently from us as Ninevites. Of course, Ninevites can show up in the most unlikely of places. I love the story about the man who uh, did not want to get out of bed one morning to go to church. His wife came in and said, honey, it's time to get up. We've got to go. The man said, I don't want to go to church as he pulled the sheets up further over his face. Those people are not very nice to me. I don't like them and they don't like me. I'm never going back there. His wife sighed and she said, honey, you need to get up and go and I'll give you two very good reasons why. First, we are Christians. This is what we do. We go to worship We go on Sunday mornings to worship God. Second, you're the pastor. (laughs) Sometimes even church can feel like Nineveh. Nobody likes the idea of going to Nineveh, least of all Jonah. And so rather than obey God, Jonah tries to flee to Tarshish, which is about as far away from Nineveh and from God as he could get. 
Now, we don't really know much about Tarshish. The Old Testament tells us that King Solomon used to import exotic items from this mythical city like gold and ivory and apes and peacocks. Mainly, Tarshish is just a dream, an ancient Shangri-La by the sea. It's really just a metaphor for wherever or whatever or whomever we think will solve all of our problems and make our lives turn out right. Many of us are still trying to find Tarshish. That's why we work so hard. That's why we live in places like Swickley with all the peacocks. You know, the pretty people and the pretty houses and the pretty things. Of course, most of us by now have learned that Tarshish is just a fantasy. And yet many of us still go through life chasing after that dream rather than seeking and accepting God's call on our lives, which is actually the only thing that can make our lives turn out right. Well, Jonah decides to hop on a ship that is headed for Tarshish, thinking he can run away from God's call on his life. But the hound of heaven comes chasing after him, and God sends a terrible storm down upon that boat so that the lives and the possessions of everyone on board are now in grave danger. Notice our disobedience to God rarely has consequences for our own lives only. No sin usually comes with an enormous amount of collateral damage for the people all around us as well. But amazingly, in the midst of this terrible storm, Jonah is below deck, sound asleep. And if that's not a metaphor for the church and our country today, being rocked to sleep by the raging storm of American society and American politics, then I don't know what is. But the captain goes below deck and he finds Jonah and he wakes him up and he tries to get him to call upon his God. The sailors start casting lots to figure out who's responsible for the storm and the lot falls on Jonah. So after some debate and a futile attempt to get back to shore, they reluctantly take Jonah's own advice and they cast him into the sea. And sure enough, the sea immediately becomes calm. But Jonah begins sinking into the deep, plummeting to a watery grave, a fitting end to this disobedient prophet of the Lord. For as the Apostle Paul reminds us, the wages of sin is death. But then, miraculously, just as Jonah's life is slipping away, God sends a giant fish to come snap him up in its mouth. And for three days and nights, Jonah is held in the belly of the fish. And it is only at this point, when he's trapped there inside the fish, unable to run, 
unable to hide, his life suddenly on hold, taken out of his hands, that Jonah finally begins to pray. Sometimes in our lives, it takes something rather dramatic to get us to stop running and turn our attention to God. Maybe it's because we're all trying so hard to find Tarshish. Maybe it's because we're afraid of what God might be trying to say to us about our lives, about our priorities, about our relationships, about our God-given purpose in life. So we distract ourselves with other things. But then one day, something comes along and stops us dead in our tracks. Your boss comes into your office and says, thank you, but your services are no longer needed. Your spouse suddenly walks out on you. You are suddenly diagnosed with cancer. You have a heart attack that throws you in the ER. Your loved one suddenly dies. Maybe you go into the hospital for just a routine procedure, and next thing you know, you're in there for weeks. Or you you miss an important flight, and you're stuck there in the airport for hours and hours on end with nowhere to go. It's kind of like being trapped in the belly of the fish. Your life seemingly on hold and out of your control. Now, be very sure, I do not believe that God causes these kinds of things to happen in our lives. But as the story makes clear, these types of events play a very important role in our spiritual lives. For when you find yourself in the belly of the fish, it is always a call to prayer. So after three days and nights in that tomb-like place. Jonah finally prays to God, and he offers God a psalm of praise and thanksgiving for delivering him from certain death. And it is only at that moment that the fish finally spews Jonah up onto the shore, alive and well once again, having been brought from death to new life, a sinner saved by grace alone. But be very sure, God never saves us just so that we can bask in our own salvation or that we can go back to business as usual. No, God always saves us for a purpose. And all of us have been brought here to this place and adopted into this family so that we might participate together in God's mission to heal and save this lost and broken world, including our Ninevites. So God calls Jonah for the second time to go to Nineveh. But now Jonah is is done running, and he's ready to obey God. So Jonah goes to Nineveh, and he walks from one end to the next, crying out, 40 days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And miraculously, the Ninevites listen to Jonah. 
this prophet from Israel. The people believe God and they repent from their wicked ways. And so rather than destroying the city as God had planned, God shows mercy and compassion upon them instead. And Jonah is beside himself. He's apoplectic. And Jonah says to God, I knew it. I knew it. This is why I fled to Tarshish in the first place, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. I knew that you would do something like this. This is so like you. So just kill me now, for it's better for me to die than to live. Or as my son James used to say when he was little, this is the worst day ever. Isn't that amazing? Here is Jonah, the most wildly successful prophet in history, who has just brought about the repentance of the most wicked city on earth. And Jonah is furious. Now we see why it was that Jonah was running to Tarshish. Not because he was afraid of the Ninevites or of God. He was running because he knew how incredibly gracious and merciful God is. And the last thing that Jonah wanted was for that grace and mercy to be extended to the Ninevites. Because that's not the way things are supposed to work. There's supposed to be justice in this world, right? And the Ninevites didn't deserve God's mercy. No, they deserved to be punished for their wickedness. And yet, wasn't it Jonah who had just received God's undeserved mercy and grace, having been given a whole new life when he should have been left to die as a just punishment for his disobedience. And yet even to those who have received it in such abundance, God's grace is often scandalous. Let's be honest, however, for a minute. We're not really so different from Jonah, are we? I mean, in Jesus Christ, we have all encountered the God who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. We are all sinners saved by grace alone. And yet we too tend to have a very hard time extending that grace to the Ninevites in our lives. And it bothers us that God might not treat them according to their actions, that they might not get what they deserve. Oh, but be very sure. When it comes to our God, the last thing any of us should want is what we deserve. For all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, and what we deserve is judgment. And the wages of sin 
is death. But thanks be to God that in Jesus Christ, we have received grace and mercy and love instead of what we deserve. You know, I find it interesting that much like Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream of a colorblind society, this story of Jonah is still unfinished. It ends with God questioning the legitimacy of Jonah's anger and pleading with Jonah on behalf of the city of Nineveh, which had over 120,000 people who didn't know their spiritual right hand from their left, yet whom God had created and dearly loved. But we don't know how Jonah responds. It's kind of like in the parable of the prodigal son when the father goes out and pleads with the elder brother on behalf of the younger. The elder brother's response is not included in the story. Instead, we who have been the recipients of God's outrageous love have been left to finish the story ourselves. So how does Jonah's story end? Does he remain bitter and angry, unaware of his own hypocrisy? Or does he learn to see his enemy through the eyes of the one who made them? The gracious and merciful God revealed to us in Jesus Christ, the innocent one who died in our place so that we might live. How does the story end? The answer is up to you. Amen.